Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Simplecast. I'm your host, Chris Marlowe, and I'm here with my new friend, Caleb. And Caleb is making me very, very, very jealous because he's on video. And in the background of the video is sunny Southern California. So, Caleb, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. And um, we're going to jump in. Oh, man, you just made it worse. So now, I know, man. Now, now the video background, just for listeners, now the video background is a swanky hotel vibe is that an ocean in the background caleb that's that's the ocean man that's the pacific ocean in huntington beach i'm sitting at the top of the treetop uh lounge at the hotel uh, pasea in huntington beach and uh, i'm temporarily out of an office right now so i'm mobile and i'm just finding some friends that'll let me set up shop and this is not a bad shop for today oh man i'm so jealous i will actually take the snapshot of this picture and put it in the show notes so all of you can be jealous with me as I'm here in 85 degree Raleigh, North Carolina. For some reason, fall is not coming early this year, so that is a bummer. So, hey, Caleb, tell us a little bit um, about yourself, man. Who are you? What do you do? Obviously, we know God's called you to one of the hardest places in the world to live. But yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. Well, I lead a church in Huntington Beach called Mariner's Church. There's four Mariner's Churches. The original one is in the Irvine Newport area. It's been around 50 years, and then they have started three other churches, and Huntington Beach is one of those. So I lead Mariner's Church, Huntington Beach. It's a privilege to do that. I teach every Sunday. We have our own staff, our own offices. Right now, we're just in the middle of doing some improvements on the office and getting into a new movie theater, so that's a crazy endeavor. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that, but the whole deal, raising money and getting into a five-screen movie theater. So I do that, lead the church, but I also love to write and self-publish two books already and now have a two-book deal with David C. Cook. And one of those books that I just finished, just released, is called Favor with Kings. Awesome. Yeah, Favor with Kings, God's purpose, your passion, and the process of doing great things. I mean, that is a lot of awesome opportunities right there in the book. So let's let's jump into the book and let's talk about it. Man, how did this come along? What was your passion and why did you write this book? I wrote Favor with Kings because when I was asked to take over the leadership of Mariners Huntington Beach, I didn't know what I was doing. And <laughs> I had I had worked for uh, Rick Warren at Saddleback Church back in the day, and then I tried to start my own nonprofits, for-profits, kind of went out on my own and did some things and didn't really want to go back to the church environment, had other things that I was doing, but just felt when I was asked to take over leadership of this new church that it was what I was supposed to do. And so I, I felt like, I call it God, I felt like God was just kind of drawn me to this passage of the story of Nehemiah. It kept coming to mind, so I read it, and I was blown away by it. All these things from this text, from this ancient Jewish manuscript that Nehemiah calls his memoirs, which is like his journal, and these things are just illuminated for me. I didn't know if I could lead this team. I had never spent much time in Huntington Beach. I had never spoken, you know, preached, done sermons every week. I really didn't know what I was doing. And I used Nehemiah as a template, the story, uh, all these principles that I was finding in it to lead the staff, to build the church, to go from, our church was at 150 when I took over and we have over a thousand now every every Sunday in regular attendance. And so the, the, the journey, the building, 
the, the project, if you will, I found a template, I found inspiration for it in the story of Nehemiah. And my staff got so excited about the story of Nehemiah and it just kept evolving into a book. And so I pitched it to a bunch of publishers and went with David C. Cook. And it, I, I am really excited and hopeful that it can inspire a lot of other people to do their mission from God, to do special projects that have meaning. That's awesome, man. I love how you talk about your story, but really you're writing the book to inspire other people yeah. to figure out all the struggles that you personally had to go through because leadership, and That's right. no matter what space you're in, business, church, nonprofit, you know, stay-at-home mom or dad, like leadership just applies to all of us. We all have to find ways to lead and trying to figure out the difference between biblical leadership and kind of like secular, which those two can be combined. But Nehemiah is just like, it's just one portion in the Old Testament that I, I'm like you, I've read over and over whenever I get stuck or lost. I'm like, man, how do I do this? And often I go back to the story of Nehemiah because it's so practical. I love it. So, so good. So good. Uh, it is. But here's the thing. You talk about something that we all hate to talk about. It's bad news, right? You say that bad news is the genesis of breakthroughs. Okay, no one wants, like, okay, you're going to have to convince us, man. Why is bad news the genesis of breakthrough? What do you mean? Bad news is just part of life. We're, we're broken people uh, living in a broken world, and probably all of us have, have had such disappointment in our lives, and we wonder, can we come back from this? Can, we, can, can good still come of this? Can I still do the dream? Can I still pursue this vision because I'm screwed up, the environment's screwed up, someone betrayed me, the circumstances are not right, this isn't working. And I drew strength from the story of Nehemiah in that for him, bad news was the genesis, bad news was the beginning of the breakthrough. And he had to ask, when he was sitting comfortable in the palace in Susa, working right at the right hand of the most powerful man in the world, and he was eating and drinking like a king because he was the cupbearer which is a good gig until it's not, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Until that drink gets poisoned and you're out of luck. But up until that point, you're eating the finest food, you're drinking the fanciest wine, you're what, so his job, his life is cush and comfortable. And so when the, when his brother and friends show up on his doorstep and they're like, oh, you, it sucks back home. Everything is going to hell. It's crazy. It's broken. It's whatever. Uh, he, he, he leans in and he asks the hard question, how are things really? Tell me the truth. I want to know. And I think a lot of us avoid that. A lot of us are so comfortable in Raleigh, North Carolina or in Huntington Beach, California or in LA or in Austin, Texas or in Dallas. Or We have comfortable lives in this American culture and we don't often want to look at the realities and the pain of what other people are going through. But if we ask the hard question, how are things really? And we let the real circumstances of things that are going on in the culture around us intersect with our own bad news in our life, intersect with our own story, that's where the magic happens. That's where we see that the pain from our past can be repurposed for good, that bad news really can be the genesis of breakthroughs, and that and that maybe our greatest contribution to the world connects with our own story of pain and the pain in the lives of people around us, and God can use that brokenness to be a blessing to other people. Yeah, I love it, man. I think one of the things I'm always trying to process, and we, we kind of have a, a phrase that help one now. We say, my life interrupted is a life inspired. A friend of mine, Greg Russinger, always talked about that a few years ago. And so I, th- that phrase just has always kind of caught my heart because 
and, and maybe you can answer this question. Why are we so scared to do hard things? Why are we so scared to allow God to interrupt us? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that we are taught in our culture to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. And everything around us in media and, and keeping up with the Joneses and the Kardashians and it's all it's all about how do we move toward ease, how do we move toward comfort? We don't we want to avoid pain and we want to have things as much in our control as possible. But really it's recognizing that sometimes uh, God, there, there's a divine interruption, and it seems like an inconvenience for a moment, or it seems like a disaster in in the in the micro moment. But in the macro story, it's really the inspiration that's going to launch us. Yeah, I love that. I, I tell you what, people who are prepared for their lives to be interrupted are are ready for the challenges, and people who aren't prepared are devastated when it happens, and they don't know how to rebound from those terrible moments. So being interrupted is important. And so, okay, so one of the things you challenge us in the book is is you say um, conviction can be cultivated. And again, I love some of the themes that you have, Caleb, because you talk about bad news, and now you're talking about conviction. And these are like, for a lot of people, bad news and conviction are words they're trying to avoid or almost stay away from, But, but how can conviction be cultivated? So when Nehemiah gets the bad news from his brother and from his other friends that, that things back in Jerusalem are not good, that things are bad, he before he does anything, before he tries to change, before he leans in, before he goes anywhere, he grieves and he prays and he fasts. And he really leans into it to hear from God. Is this something that I am supposed to do? So I start by asking the question, what breaks your heart? Is there something that already moves your heart that when you hear about it, you know, man, this intersects my story. This intersects my past or a piece. Uh, and, and so maybe God can repurpose the pain from my past and send me in this direction. But before I do anything, I'm going to cultivate the conviction and make sure that God is in this so that I can endure through whatever may come. I can persevere no matter what what results. And so praying and fasting really matters. And the question that I ask myself is, uh, do I care enough to fast? And am I praying enough to care? Because fasting is really about being more hungry for God and his mission for my life than I am for food or for whatever I think that I want. And so and so I found that when I was asked to come and lead the church in Huntington Beach, obviously it's a great community, it's a beach community and there's des- desirable things, but I didn't know Huntington Beach. I didn't have any friends here. I, I I didn't have a story here. I didn't have it up on my wall on my dream board that I was throwing spiritual darts at, you know what I mean? I I I was just asked to take it over. And so I started walking the city and meeting with people and and going to small businesses and talking with realtors and just praying and developing a heart and a passion for the community. And God developed that in me as I fasted, as I prayed, as I talked to people, as I said, God, give me a heart for these people. It increased. And the passion and the conviction that that I'm just like these people, that we're the same, that, that I can be used by God to have an impact in this town, in this place, in the cities around, and that conviction was cultivated by intentionally praying, spending a little bit of time fasting, talking with other people, and really building toward what God might want to do. 
Yeah, I love that. And a place like Huntington Beach, just like my city of Raleigh, you know, we're ranked always in the top places to live. It's like Pleasantville on many levels. But we yeah. all know just because it's beautiful on the outside doesn't mean it's not broken. And so Absolutely. I'm assuming for you, you just had to learn, like, your new city, your new community. Um, and on the outside, it could be like everything is okay here, but ultimately it's not okay. How did you deal with trying to understand the context of Huntington Beach and how to have favor with that community? Well, I talked to people and I read, I read reports and I read demographic studies and I spent time at the beach playing volleyball. I played volleyball in college, so that was an easy in for me. And, and Huntington Beach is a big volleyball community and yeah. big surf community. So I just spent time and I realized one of, the, one of the other great things in the story of Nehemiah is that when he prays, he prays and he aligns himself with the people. He says, God, you said that if we turn to you, you would forgive us and you would bring us back. And he said, I confess the sins of me and my family and my ancestors. And, it, and Nehemiah was living in the palace and working for a Persian king. But he said, I confess, I take on, I'm just like all of them. I'm screwed up. We did this. And so really going through the process of saying, I'm just like everybody else. I'm going to learn how they're wired, what they're struggling with. And I'm going to own those things as my own. And I'm going to talk to them like I'm the same as them. And I'm not better. And I'm not the, the great hope coming in to, to make things different. I'm just like you. And so really learning the realities of the people that, that you feel like God is inviting you to serve and then just identifying with them and being in it with them and saying, okay, I'm just like you. We're in this together. How can I help? Yeah, I love that. I love the humility behind it. And also, you know, the reality of that to do something significant takes longevity. So you have to slow down and begin mm -hmm. to listen and learn in the community. So you talk about Nehemiah, and you just mentioned a little bit, but a lot, praying. He's constantly praying, but he's mm -hmm. also planning. Tell That's us about right. the importance of praying and planning and how they connect. So important. It's so important because I think that most people gravitate toward one or the other. They're either the praying type that says, oh, God will do it. God will do it. He's going to bless it. He's going to make it happen uh, in God's timing. And God, that's all that. All that's fine. But if you just do that, you're missing out on your role. You have a part to play in this story. There's a human divine cooperative that goes on. And the people that just pray and don't plan, they miss out on the details. The people that just plan and don't pray, they think it's all about them. And oh, if I just try harder, if I just work harder, I'm going to make this happen. And they forget that there is a God of the universe who has things under control, even though so much of life is out of their control. What Nehemiah does is both. He lives in the tension of both. He prays like crazy, spends multiple days just crying out to God, saying, God, you need to do this. God, you give me favor with this king. And then when he is working and standing in front of the king, he is prepared. And when the king of all the land looks at him and says, hey, you got a blank check. What is it that you want? Nehemiah doesn't look at his shoes and go, oh, God, I, I didn't know that you were going to give me favor. He is ready and he has his list and he says, King, I anticipated that God was going to give me favor with you. Here's what I need. A, B, C, D, boom. I'm prepared. Here's the timeline. Let's get to work. Yeah, I love it. I think, um, you know, it was Mark Batterson who said, pray like it depends on God, work like it, like it depends on you. And I, I've always loved that concept. Like we have to pray and we have to work and we have to combine those two worlds. And I often wonder how many people miss the call that God has in their life 
the dreams that they're passionate about because they simply can't combine praying and planning together. And they do, they pick one path. And if you only pick one path, eventually there's gonna become a collision somewhere. We're helping out in my org. We just literally, we've taken the biggest risk we've ever taken. And so we're planning, we're planning, we're planning, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing. And about two weeks ago, I sent an email to our staff. I'm like, hey, everyone, just FYI, let's make sure we're not forgetting that ultimately it's God who has to come through in all right. of this. So we can plan the whole time, but ultimately we God has got to come through, and so we've got to be praying. So make sure you're also praying as you work really hard. That's right. And, and one of the things that I try to drive home in the book is that the whole idea of favor with kings is the title, and, and favor comes from God, but it comes through kings. Mm. So Nehemiah demonstrates that. He models that for us as he prays under his breath when he's face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the most powerful man he's ever heard of. And he says, God, give me favor with this man. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not how do I just you know, kiss this guy's butt. And it's, God, you're the one who gives me favor, but you give it through this king. And I think that that's real in all of our lives. The favor comes from God, but it comes through leaders. It comes through influencers. It comes through uh, maybe key donors, investors, people who, who give to your cause, maybe, maybe city officials and government agencies that you want to partner with, uh, maybe, maybe elders in a church, maybe uh, board members, whatever it is, there are, there are influencers in our life, even spouses yeah. that we need favor with. We need their blessing. We need uh, God to move their hearts, to give us the thumbs up, to come alongside, to say, I'm with you. I'm going to help you make this happen. And God gives us that favor. Favor comes from God, but he gives it through leaders. Awesome. I love it. So last question, then we're going to go through a, a lightning round and get to know you a little bit more. But before we do that, why do you call Nehemiah the, um, Nehemiah the Einstein of delegation? This is awesome. And I read Nehemiah multiple times before ever seeing this. And when I saw this and put it in the book, I was so excited because it's, again, so practical. Nehemiah, when he is assigning tasks to chapter three, I believe, when he's assigning working on the wall to leaders, priests, his guys who are really carrying the load and building this wall, he does it in the simplest and yet most strategic way. The scripture says that he assigned the work on the wall to the leaders based on where they lived. So they worked on the wall closest to their own house. Awesome. Because he knew that people were going to pay extra close attention to the wall that protected their own pad, mm. their own family, their wife and their kids. They weren't going to skimp on those blocks. They were going to make sure those blocks were strong and secure and that they linked appropriately with their neighbors' blocks and stones. And they were going to work fast because they wanted their family safe. And so the Einstein of delegation just simply recognizes that people work the best when they care the most. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you can tap into what people already care about and show them how that aligns with your project, with your mission, with the work that you feel like God has for you to do, anything's possible. And they built that wall in 52 days after not being able to build it for 50 plus years. And part of that reason was he mobilized people in an area that they already had passion for and he got them to work together to a common goal. 
Yeah, I love that, man. So good. I love it. So, all right. Favor with kings, God's purpose, your passion, and the process of doing great things. We will have all the links in the show notes and also ways to connect with Caleb on social media and whatnot. So, Caleb, before we let you go, we're going to go through a series of questions. And just to be clear, he has Caleb has no clue what question I'm going to ask him. So hopefully he'll get a little he'll get stumped here a little bit. But okay, here we go. Ready? Ready. In and out or Shake Shack? In and out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Lakers or Clippers? Ouch. I'd have to I'd have to say the Lakers now. I'm optimistic about Coach Luke Walton. Oh, thank God. Huge Laker fan here. And if you would have said the Clippers, this interview would never go live. Ever, ever. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's only kidding. Okay, favorite band? You too. I just got to go bandwagon you too. Okay, I'm with you there. I'm with you. And now a lot of people are going to hate us because we're bandwagon you two fans, but I'm with you in that one. All right, current favorite TV show? Current favorite TV show is probably, it's probably Homeland. I mean, I know that that's another bandwagon too, but those, those shows, Homeland, Ray Donovan is a little bit rough for me, but, but they, the Showtime has some stuff figured out. I, I like what they're doing. And then there's also House of Cards that the, they're just so well written, those shows. Yeah. Once you start watching those shows, you can't go back to traditional TV. It's just so it's, hard. It, it's true. It's just su- such a cut above. Cool. Well, okay. What are some of your favorite books you're currently reading? I, other of course than doing good is simple and i'm just kidding just kidding no 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 doing good is simple is <laughs> is in my uh it's next in my queue right now i just downloaded it on my kindle and that is right there mark batterson is a friend of mine and uh, he endorsed favor with kings and i am reading his chase the lion book uh after i read your book <laughs> And you know what? Not too long ago, I read a really great book called Essentialism. Oh, man. And have you read that? Oh, dude. It's, it's, the ba- it's literally my number one recommended book to anyone trying to accomplish anything great in life. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. So I, I don't read as many kind of books on the Christian living side yeah. of things as I used to. I read, I read more general human stuff because even as a pastor, I'm trying to relate to humans, not just Christians. Yeah, but even essentialism with your message, one of the greatest issues we're all facing is we're so busy doing so many things that we actually don't accomplish anything great because we can't That's slow right. down and focus. That's and right. So, yeah, if you're listening to this and you have not read essentialism, take it from the two of us, pick it up. It's amazing. So, yep. and look at last question, coffee with or without milk and sugar? I got to have a little bit of milk and sugar. I'm not, I'm not hardcore. I don't drink coffee every day. There's a place called Phil's Coffee that just oh, yeah. came to Huntington Beach and it's it's money. It'll keep you hopped up all day long. And I do it Phil's way with his which is a little bit of brown sugar and milk. Awesome. All right. Phil's way. I gotta check it out next time I'm in Huntington Beach. So hey Caleb, thanks so much for man for hanging out here at the Simple Cast. We love the work that you're doing. We love your book. We love the message and I think we connect in the fact that we're trying to empower people to live amazing lives that do great good in our world. So thanks for writing and thanks for being on the Simplecast today. It's a pleasure, Chris. Happy to uh, happy to do this with you. I believe in what you're doing too. Look forward to being in touch. Awesome. Thanks, man.